everyone, and welcome to the D Suite. The D Suite is a podcast that looks at the most pressing issues and top priorities for you, data and analytics and AI leaders. My name's Rita Salam, and I'm joined by my co-host Afras Joffrey. Hey, Afras. Hi, Rita. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. Great. Now, just to give you an idea about how we'll run things on the D Suite, in each one of these podcasts, we're going to have three sections. The first one, devoted to reviewing the latest news and events of the past month. Another one, to look at a key trend in the data analytics and AI space. And in the last segment, we'll interview a thought-leading data analytics and AI leader to get some insights from them on how they're achieving success in their role. And for this episode, we'll be specifically looking at generative AI, of course, what else, and how you can talk about the impact of generative AI to your board, to the CEO, to your business peers as well. And to do that, we'll be talking with our distinguished VP analyst, Arun Chandrasekharan, about various approaches to deploying generative AI and some use cases as well. In the third section, we'll talk to the Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Mars Petcare, Matt Keelock, who will talk about the value he is delivering with AI and data and analytics. So excited about that lineup. So let's just start with the basics then. So Afrez, you're our resident professor, I like to say. Uh, can you just give us like a quick primer on what is generative AI? Why should we care about it? Why should business leaders pay attention? What are some of the opportunities and risks? What do you think? Yeah, sure, Rita. So uh, let's take a step back and think about generative AI as a discipline. It's actually been around for um, a few years now, even longer than the Transformer and GPT-based models, which now everyone is familiar with. And they've been used for everything from just discovery to also improving the quality of images and audio as well in different disciplines and areas. But there is lots of opportunity for using these generative models for more task-specific based use cases and things which can really automate a lot of processes within the organization. And the adoption and the news which is spreading has been really out of this world, hasn't it, Risa? It really has. I mean, it's just amazing, Afras, how quickly ChatGPT has captured everyone's imagination. Even my 86-year-old mom is using it to write emails in Italian to her family. And you know, as fantastic as the potential use cases may be, there are also risks aren't there, Afraz? There's sort of downside to this versatility. There are, definitely. I mean, lots of headlines are grabbed by people who talk about AI as this existential threat where the potential could be there to wipe out humanity. Now, there are lots of reasons why those claims are being made, but I think it's important, especially for our audience, to think about the more near-term risks and the things which you can do now to make sure that we develop safe and secure and ethically viable AI systems. So the, the potential obviously is there for disinformation to be happening and for the for factually inaccurate answers to be spread far and wide. But right now, the focus can be on really delivering value and putting in place guardrails on your development life cycles, getting people who know about ethics and the, and the potential for bias to creep into models, and being able to get safe and secure delivery methodologies and processes to develop generative AI in that safe and secure way. 
So Afras, what can you tell us about what the potential is there for combining LLMs with traditional search or semantic search? So the problem with doing that is, of course, that those models have been pre-trained. And so you can't add any more data to their training set. Now, I like to think of this using an example. So Rita, see if you like this. So if you think about training a dog or teaching a dog to do new tricks or respond to instructions, you can train that dog and the dog can respond and you can even add more and more instructions or vocabulary to what they understand. But the dog is not going to do the things which a dog can't do. So it can't climb up trees, it can't respond back in English. Similarly, the large language models can only do a certain amount of finite tasks and specific tasks based on the training data that they have. So uh, Risa, what are, you looked at LLMs as well, and you know we've spoken also to chief data analysis officers and, and data analytics leaders. What are some of the things that they could be doing now to be to getting value out of these models? Yeah, thanks, Safras. First of all, I love the dog analogy, and that does set us up for our, for our our guest Matt Keylock from Mars Pet Care. So love that. Um, and we do try to we hope to be actionable for you on D Suite. So first and foremost engage with your HR and risk leaders to create a company policy for the usage of ChatGPT and other public large language model conversational applications with the goal of informing them on you know, what they should and shouldn't be doing uh, with these models to protect uh, company assets, IP, uh, per, uh, personally identifiable data, et cetera. And then from a strategy perspective, you know, look at your competitive opportunities uh, and business vulnerabilities. Identify a portfolio of high value use cases. Some of those use cases will be table stakes and just available in your enterprise and productivity applications in your data and analytics platforms over the next year. Other use cases have the potential to help you reimagine your business completely, your industry, uh, reimagine it uh, completely. Uh, but as a data and analytics leader, uh, you play a key role. So training, change management, up, up first and foremost, if you haven't started already, don't wait on that one. That'll be key to fully leveraging the capabilities and to accelerate the benefits. Um, and we need to move pretty quickly from data literacy to pervasive AI literacy. So now let's get into the details. Now I'm very pleased to say we have our distinguished VP analyst, Arun Chetrasekharan, to join us for this segment, who is one of our real thought leaders in this space. Welcome, Arun. Thanks, Afra. Thanks for joining us, Arun. So in your recent published research, uh, you talk about four main deployment approaches for generative AI. Uh, can you just give us an idea of what these are and what the pros and cons are of each and maybe when it makes sense for enterprises to use each approach short of a decision framework if you have one? Absolutely. Given the viral popularity of ChatGPT, the most obvious deployment approach that enterprises are thinking through is to use ChatGPT, the web application. Our guidance to customers is almost always to use ChatGPT, the API, because it comes with a set of privacy controls that are important for enterprises than to use the app. Although later in the year, OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, is planning to create ChatGPT for business, which has the web app with a set of privacy controls that are important for enterprises. Beyond the web application, there are four different approaches that we lay out. The first is, more and more ISVs are going to embed generative AI models into the applications they're delivering to the enterprise. For example, this could be Microsoft Copilots as an example, or what Salesforce is trying to do, 
where they're bringing these models and embedding them into an existing application frame that a business user is using. This is by and far the simplest approach for most enterprises because it doesn't change the workflow in a significant way. And also the costing honestly tends to be pretty low for these use cases as well, often priced on a per user basis with additional pricing for the, the premium offerings that they, are, uh, that they are in the marketplace today. The second approach that we see essentially is where the models themselves are available as APIs in public cloud. And these can be embedded into existing custom applications that customers have built. For example, if you have an existing chatbot, you could improve the accuracy of your existing chatbot by embedding the model APIs into your existing workflow. Often organizations would do some level of prompt engineering, which is to say they will bring additional context they will bring maybe examples to it to steer these models to give the output that they want. And that's kind of the second approach that we described, which is consuming the model APIs with some level of prompt engineering. The third approach is where you want to fine tune the models. Now, why do you want to fine tune the models? You want to fine tune the models because you want to bring your organizational knowledge into the model. For example, this could be an insurance company that says, I want to take a base model like GPT-3 and I want to bring my insurance documents into it so that I kind of ground the models with my organizational knowledge. Uh, Fine-tuning essentially is a, a scenario where you take a base model, you bring your organizational data, and you're creating a custom model you know, that is kind of dedicated to you in the scenario. And the final approach that we describe is where you can perhaps build your own custom models. Um, the reason to build custom models often is you want to uh, you know, bring a level of privacy and control that's really, really high, where you want to really ground these models with your organization data entirely. And uh, we don't see that approach, to be honest with you, very often. Yep. So that's a great decision framework uh, to think about the options. So what if someone wants to deploy a model on-premises or in a private cloud because they're in a regulated industry or they just want to protect their, their data? What are their options? We get this question a lot from our clients. Absolutely, that's a great question. Um, the reality is the most popular models today tend to be both cloud source, uh, closed sourced as well as cloud API based, right? But having said that, there are a couple of ways in which uh, customers can implement models outside of the cloud environment. The first is by looking at model hubs or model marketplaces like Hugging Face as an example. Hugging Face is an enormous repository of fine-tuned open source models. They have thousands of models that are available across different domains and across different use cases. Uh, so particularly for developers that are interested in experimenting with models, uh, I think model marketplaces or model hubs are a great place to start where you can deploy these models in public clouds or outside of public cloud environments as well. What we're also starting to see now is infrastructure vendors starting to package models as part of their infrastructure. As you probably know, vendors like NVIDIA, AMD, Sambanova, Intel, and the others offer infrastructure for training and running uh, large language models and foundation models. And many of them are starting to move up the value chain where they want to package these models as part of their infrastructure to make them more attractive to customers. And that's kind of another way to think about non-cloud implementations as well, which is to kind of rely on these pre-trained and curated models that are being delivered by your infrastructure vendors. We fully expect that in the future, we will see more and more large language models being available for non-cloud deployments and non-cloud consumption. 
Great. Thanks for that. So things are moving so fast. You know better than anyone. It's you know virtually a full-time job to keep up on all the announcements. Um, what do you see are emerging trends in this space? How should data and analytics leaders uh, future-proof their investments today, even though it's often difficult in such a fast-moving space? But how do they keep their options open? Yeah, what do you a, recommend? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there are several trends that we're tracking in this space. And I think there are four trends that are really worth calling out. The first trend is the advent of more fine-tuned and smaller size models in this space. You know, because in the past six to nine months, we've seen these enormously large models, often running into hundreds and billions of parameters or maybe even trillions of parameters. Whereas we are now starting to see kind of more baby models, if you want to call it, that are smaller in size and fine-tuned for very specific use cases in the enterprise. And both large model companies like OpenAI, Microsoft, and Google, as well as companies like IBM and AWS and Databricks, they're all starting to build these smaller size fine-tuned models that are more practical in some sense for enterprises to implement uh, from a simplicity and from a cost standpoint. The second trend that is also very obvious is multi-modal models, um, where these models are becoming more versatile, where the input from a training data perspective for these models is text, uh, code, uh, images, and potentially in the future, you will see other modalities such as speech and video. The last trend that I want to call out is the rise of autonomous agents. Uh, I'm talking about things such as AutoGPT, where you provided a high-level task and the system is able to execute a series of subtasks to kind of achieve that overall goal. The other way of saying the same thing is to say they can, in some sense, prompt themselves. You know, unlike ChatGPT, where you have to repeatedly prompt or repeatedly ask questions, here you give it a higher level task and it's able to self-prompt itself, uh, which is a very interesting development, uh, which could be a very uh, a disruptive development in terms of enabling further automation uh, for business processes uh, in the enterprise. Well, that's a fascinating glimpse into our potential AI agent-based future. Arun, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for your insights today. Such a thought-provoking discussion. Thank you, Arun. Now let's turn to getting value from all these investments. We know that realizing value is just an aspiration for most data and analytics and AI leaders today, although they're under greater pressure than ever before to demonstrate it. And it can be particularly difficult with innovative technologies like AI. So our guest today on the D-Suite is Matt Keelock. He's Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Mars Pet Care, and he's been consistently able to show how AI has helped transform pet health and well-being, an amazing purpose. I mean, talk about a job with purpose. So welcome to the D-Suite, Matt. So, so Matt, you and I have had conversations in the past in which literally I was just blown away by the impact you've had at Mars Pet Care. So we're so thrilled to be sharing this insight with our D-Sweeters listening in. So can you start by just telling us a bit about yourself at, uh, and Mars Pet Care and actually how you came to be in your role? Um, I joined Mars six years ago. And I joined for a couple of reasons. One, you, you touched on purpose earlier. Purpose is really important to me. And so uh, we have a purpose to create a better world for pets. And that really resonated with me. We have really strong principles of, of values here at, at Mars uh, that also 
you know, really resonate. And so very inspired by the opportunity that we've got, um, partly for that reason, partly because also I see that we're at one of those pivotal moments. Uh, I think we've got um, incredible data uh, that uh, can really drive transformation. Um, what, what really inspired me about Mars Pet Care was, again, this incredible kind of emotional connection and how you derive that understanding through data, um, but also a real kind of worthwhile impact opportunity and a purpose impact opportunity to you know, help create a better world for pets because they create a better world for us. That's fantastic. Now, one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is the communication of that value that she just articulated so well. So what is your overall approach to communicating the value of all that great work that you're doing? Yeah, it's it's not an easy thing because as a data team, you're typically sandwiched in between your inputs, which are sources of data that come from a business and tech, and then your outputs, which are then going back into tech or into business teams who then activate on, on what you do. And so making sure that you look at all of that in a joined up way is, is really important. Um, and, and for us, we designed the measurement of value in, in at, the, at the start. So when we're doing work, we are doing it uh, in a way that we kind of designed the measurement. And we, we, we think about it in a few ways. So you know, just like any team in the business, we need to deliver a, an ROI. We're, we're making an investment in data and analytics. We need to uh, deliver uh, a strong ROI on that promise. So some of that is in, therefore, business value. And so what we do might be driving sales. It might be uh, creating efficiencies. It might be uh, reducing costs or optimizing parts of our service, for instance. So uh, for all of these things, we can translate that into a dollar value. Um, you know, with the right measurement framework designed into the project at the start and turn that into an earnings impact. Um, we also think, we talked a bit about purpose. And, and so we think about how we also creating a better world for pets um, in terms of the new science that we're creating. And so we, we count the number of new capabilities that we develop that are going to impact pets' lives tomorrow. So for instance, things like, um, we've got a, a periodontal risk assessment, for instance, that is new science effectively. And so how do we, how do we use our data to drive that? Um, we're publishing papers. Uh, so for instance, two last year that uh, were about really allowing us to provide insight into complex diseases like um, heart disease and cancer in dogs. And so we create a score on those. And then we have strategic projects that are about shaping the, the trajectory of the business or big choices we make. And we have purpose projects. Um, so for instance, we're working on um, pet homelessness and an index to help us understand pet homelessness. So or, or, or we have a kind of a, a spectrum to make sure that we have a balanced approach to what we do across value creation and, and um, pets' lives impacted. 
Um, and those come together in, into our kind of measurement framework and how we plan and, and, and judge our performance. Yeah. So what's so interesting to me about what you just said is that you factor in both financial as well as financial influencing outcomes. Most of our organizations struggle to factor those important outcomes into how they prioritize. Now, now Matt, I'm, I'm really interested in the, in the scientific aspects that you mentioned and all the cool innovations you're doing. And of course, we've been talking about AI in this episode, generative AI and AI in general. So can you go through some examples maybe of where you've used that to good effect and good to good practice? And maybe also your opinion on where generative AI might play a, a part in your future roadmap? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, there's a whole kind of spectrum of, of where we apply that. Probably one of my favorite examples is where we are using our activity tracker, which is called Whistle, a device that sits on the collar of a dog and it tracks their movements. And we set up a project where um, we, we had pet owners um, sign up to be part of this project. Um, their pets had a Whistle device. They connected the medical records of their pets and also uh, they crowdsourced videos for us. And so over time, we're tagging the videos um, and, and building models on behavior, we could actually start to unravel what was going on in this sort of quite otherwise quite noisy um, accelerometer and kind of gyroscope data in the, in the tracker to be able to turn that into a translation of the movements that the pet has from uh, whether it's standing or sitting, but also things like licking or eating, which as you can imagine might be quite a subtle difference, but we're, we're now confident we can see those differences. And so what that allows us to do is then start to see for an individual pet, whether they're changing behavior, which could be a sign of you know, a, a medical condition or, or, you know, just something that the pet owner should watch out for. So for instance, we can notice that they're scratching more. You may not notice that if you're away at work or, you know, you just don't see that your pet is scratching 20% more than it was yesterday or, or last week. So we can start to provide signals to pet owners and then um, alerts or, or messages that, you know, allow pet owners to then uh, notice and, and provide the right care for their pet. And that's something that, you know, has been a, a brilliant, really exciting project. And, and actually the, the pet owners that are receiving those alerts have really sort of fed back on the importance of them in them catching conditions in a way that they otherwise might not. So all, all of these things combined and blended around an individual pet allows us to understand them. You know, data gives them a voice in a way, allows us to understand um, what's going on in their world in a way that, that they can't uh, vocalize. So, yeah, super exciting. I love that. Data giving pets a voice. Just part of the um, question around uh, generative AI. So, you know, that's... Uh, uh, a, a big space, and I think there's there's a huge amount of opportunity in that. Um, everything from, um, you know, how we build code uh, through to uh, building media and, and ad campaigns, um, and then, you know, ultimately how we think about this vast array of data. So, for instance, we have a lot of medical data that has. Uh, 
handwritten medical notes. Um, not something that's super easy to untangle. We've done quite a lot of natural language processing on it, but you can imagine that, for instance, is a, is a great area for us to explore on, on, on how can we use some of these large language models to do that in, in a much better way going forwards. Well, fascinating insights. I feel we could talk for a lot longer and all the cool stuff that you're doing, Matt, but thank you very much for, for joining us on, on the D-Suites and, and we certainly learned a lot from you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a fan of Mars candy bars, uh, but wow, until I met you, I didn't know the impact you're having on pets. So we thank you and our pets thank you for sure. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks. for joining. Thanks very much. Yeah, definitely a, a team effort too. So the clever AI people, um, uh, we've got a lot to thank and that's definitely not me. Well, you do a great job at really articulating, you know, the outcomes that you're having. And that's an important piece of continuing to get funding, which which our data and analytics leaders struggle with. So thank you for giving us some small uh, sort of window into how you do that. And I think, you know, our, our D-suiters will really appreciate all the guidance you've given and just the way you think about how can, how you connect what you're doing to the uh, the business of Mars Pet Care is, is, is really important. Uh, uh, best in class. So th thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks, Ofraz and Lita. So we hope you're now ready to think about the use cases that you can utilize for generative AI, the deployment model options we've been through, we looked at future trends, and how can you get your people and the organization ready to create and realize value. And of course, to get more insights on all of these topics, you can find more on Gartner.com. Or just give us a call. We'll be waiting for you. Thank you for joining this edition of D-Suite. See you again in our next episode.